Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Take it to the limit. It's episode number 94 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most sexually explicit Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly and joining me as usual is the Sultan of SWAT, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Oh, man, Doug. Oh, man. Oh, Liam, you've been man. sick. You've been uh, throwing up from a stomach virus lately. Yeah, it's well, the whole fam got sick and we uh-huh. think it's all from the same thing, though. What? Honestly, it's hard. What? To Who tell. is it? Is it a restaurant that we should put on blast? Here on oh. Eric Roberts. No, oh. I, there's a slight chance that it might have that that me and the wife might have gotten sick from a Wawa salad. That's a possibility, <gasps> but but it's unsure. It's unsure. Okay, but what do you have any other uh, suspects in terms of how this might have happened? No, no, it's really just them. Mm. Liam, it's. I was thinking about this recently. You know, this is episode 94 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, which sure means is. that we're only six episodes away from. The end game, the end mm. of the pod, or I should say, from our lengthy hiatus, which is about to occur at, <laughs> after episode one hundred, uh, and I, it's, I started to feel like a little bit uh, of hesitancy. I was like, "Do I really want to do this, Liam? Do I really want to do this? How, how have you been feeling about the fact that we're hurtling uh, towards our uh, undoing on episode one hundred? Um, it, it's mixed. On one hand, it can't come soon enough. Uh-huh. Uh... <laughs> On the other hand, I do want to make sure it ends well. Like, I want to do, like, lots of great, cool episodes. And so, you know, there's a part of me that wants to slow it down a little bit just to make sure we stick the landing. But, you know, I am ready for the landing, um, though, you know, if we if we break back out of our hiatus for some special occasion, I'm okay with that. Liam, I have a question for you before we bring on our guest who is waiting very patiently. This is something that has bothered me for the last few days. You know, a couple of days ago, of the time that we're recording, the Academy Awards occurred, Liam. Now, I know that you famously detest award shows. Is that correct? Not a big fan, no. Not a big fan. And we talked about that at length when we covered that entire uh, episode of the Academy Awards (laughs) with Ryan Prowse a long time ago. But uh, you don't like award shows, but one of the things that I... Uh, look forward to it might be a weird way of saying it but i do in some ways is the in memoriam section i just sometimes it's it's uh very heartfelt and very uh it's it really is a trip uh, down the past year and seeing those faces i feel sometimes a little overwhelmed with emotion but one of the things about the in memoriam at the oscars is that there is always some controversy about names that they leave out oh sure yeah I, that makes sense i I didn't watch it this year, so I don't know who they left out. But past years when I have made time to watch it, there's always something where I'm like, oh, this, why not them or whatever. Yeah. There are some notables. Uh, Arlie Ermey was not in uh, in the montage, nor was Carol Channing, and nor was famous character actor Dick Miller, who died, of course, recently. Uh, but one thing that after Dick Miller was snubbed like that, my wife came up to me, and I think she was just trying to get under my skin, and it worked, and said, you know... That suggests that they will not put Eric Roberts in the in memoriam when he passes, which is hopefully a long ways away. Do you think, Liam, 
that Eric Roberts will make the in memoriam. I think so. I think so. I think because because he was nominated, I yeah, think that right? is you something. Think... You know, he's been he's been there in the telecast, you know, he's been a part of the thing. I, I know it's been a long time since he's been on the red carpet, but he's been there before. It's not like uh he's 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 hasn't been in the room. But was Arlie Ermy nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Full Metal Jacket? I don't know. That's I actually have no idea. That's a question that we should I should have looked up some information on. But I yep. wonder that myself because that was these are the kind of things that keep me up at night, Liam. I want Eric I want Eric to be rewarded for a lengthy and uh eclectic career. And uh and I worry sometimes that you can do that. You can really go out there and and really show off your uh, abilities as an actor for years and years and then still get snubbed even after you uh you walk off this mortal coil. Are you conflating the end of this podcast with your own mortality? Somewhat, somewhat, Liam. It is mm. something that has been. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I hope that all. Right. Uh, all now shut ending, up! Uh, shut up, Liam! Stop being so naughty. You got to shut up now, okay? <laughs> so our guest this week is an editor at Diabolique Magazine and co-host of the Daughters of Darkness podcast. It's Sam Deegan. How you doing today, Sam? Uh, right now, I'm really outraged. They mm-hmm. didn't mention Dick Miller. They left Dick Miller out entirely, uh, and that led to friend of the show Justin DeClue, former guest of the show Justin DeClue, to put together a his own in memoriam, which solely featured Dick Miller. But yeah, that it what, uh, when it was occurring, uh, even though I didn't watch the broadcast live this year, um, it it made me very upset to hear. Yeah, uh, so. Like Liam, perhaps more so than Liam, or than Liam, because I have more hate in my heart than he does. I detest award shows, mm-hmm. so I never watch. But I feel like anytime I do hear something about the awards, it's always something that just makes me enraged. And like, how could you leave out Dick Miller? Sam, on a scale of one to ten, one being not outraged at all, and ten being overwhelmingly outraged. How outraged are you about Dick Miller being left off the in memoriam? I don't know, like 14. That's pretty high. Now, how, <laughs> that does lead to a follow-up question. If far in the future, Eric Roberts was left off the in memoriam, he's going to outlive me, so this doesn't apply. Well, I, I, that's fair. <laughs> no, that's a fair, fair point. He's certainly going to outlive me. But, look, you know, he's a healthy guy. He spends a lot of time uh, in that walk-in tub, Liam, as we talked about on the most recent episode. He seems very relaxed uh, as he enters uh, another stage in his life. So uh, good on Eric Roberts. Maybe he'll never be in the in-memoriam because they'll transfer his brain into a robot. Liam, what do you think? Uh, I mean, if he gets transferred into a robot, we won't hear about it until the robots take over. Well, I mean, how many years could that be? A dozen? Two. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. (laughs) Sam, tell me about your life experience with the actor Eric Roberts. Well, I think my experience is maybe a common one among film nerds, which is that I just grew up seeing Eric Roberts everywhere, Mm -hmm. and it, it didn't really occur to me to wonder about his life or his career until I want to say probably like 12, 15 years ago, I happened to catch star 80 on a bar television Mm -hmm. and was so enthralled that I sat there and watched the entire thing and realized like, I know this guy's face, but how do I not know his name? Like he had such an incredible performance and of course, you know, didn't realize it was a Fosse film. And so that 
began my sort of genuine love for Eric Roberts because I think he's incredible in many things. But that role, like, how does he not have a bigger career? I don't understand. You know, that's really refreshing to hear. Uh, Sometimes we have guests on the show who maybe don't have much awareness of the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. And in particular, we've had a few people starstruck and dumbstruck to discover that he is the brother of Julia Roberts. Um, that, that well, does... He's much more talented than Julia Roberts. Hey, I agree. She also, she also made an appearance at the Academy Awards. Liam, what do you think about that? Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> so Did she swallow everyone in the room with her giant mouth? Seems, seems oh, like God. a personal attack on the sister <laughs> of Eric Roberts. Uh, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out what just happened. Uh, Sam, you watched Star 80 on the television in a bar. You were reminded of the qualities and the skills of actor Eric Roberts. Now, you probably know, in fact, I'm certain that you do, that, say, over the past 20 years or so, Eric Roberts' career has taken uh, a different turn, and not necessarily a better or worse one, but certainly different, where he works a lot, and he has many, many credits on his Internet Movie Database uh, profile, and he does a lot of diverse work with a lot of young and inexperienced filmmakers. Uh, what has been your perspective on his career, say, over the last decade or so? Have you seen any of these movies? When you see his name pop up now, do you still think, hey, that's the guy from Star 80, or do you think that's the guy from A Talking Cat? Well, so this is sort of complicated for me to answer, because I am one of those people who tries to look at film at face value. So to me, like things that people think are absolute crap, or, you know, I feel like Ed Wood always gets trotted out as the example here. Or things like hardcore pornography that people sort of try to push off into this, like, ghetto and not talk about. To me, it's all film. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the actors that I really love, one of the things that I love about them is how hardworking they were and how kind of enthusiastic and open-minded. I mean, somebody like Vincent Price, he's in, like, 200 films. Sure. Somebody like Christopher Lee and you know in it's sort of like in retrospect at the end of their lives or after their lives are over people talk about them with reverence and but like Christopher Lee was in a lot of shit film <laughs> that doesn't mean he's not amazing in those films and it doesn't mean he's not an amazing actor but I feel the same way about Eric Roberts like if I see that he's in something that pops up on Netflix chances are I'll watch it. I might not like it because I'm sort of resistant to CGI. And so if he's in any sort of like, you know, action related thing where I have to like turn away, I'm still going to watch Eric Roberts (laughs) is my point. I mean, I I do think that there is a category of actor now that has taken on that Donald Pleasance or Klaus Kinski type role where they are adding a little star power to smaller productions, uh, productions which maybe do not have as many resources available to them. And it's funny enough, one of the actors that we're going to talk about on today's movie is one of those actors as well. But, you know, like a Michael Madsen or, I mean, there's actually a, a, a whole category. Usually they all show up in Frank D'Angelo movies, but there's a whole category of actor that's sort of like that. And Eric... I think it's kind of the top of the heap of that simply because of his productivity. But I mean, I also like that his career has sort of demystified certain aspects of 
a working actor, right? That sometimes there's a hustle to it where you might have to do a Lifetime movie and then you might have to do a commercial and you might have to do... But you might still show up in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or a Christopher Nolan movie and that's sort of the the hustle that you're always doing. And I think that uh, that one of the things that I've learned to appreciate on this podcast is an actor who doesn't kind of put on airs when it comes to what his career is or think that he is somehow above the material that he's been given. No, and that is, I have so much respect for that because like it is a business, it is an industry, you know, this idea that people can kind of sit around and pick and choose projects is great if you're independently wealthy or if you have a spouse who supports you or, you know, so on and so forth. But I think to me, an actor is somebody who should love to work and he, I mean, has anyone been in more movies than Eric Roberts? Like, this is a genuine question. I believe the only other person that you would say was comparable would be, uh, there are probably a few Bollywood actors, simply because of the sheer number of productions that uh, that uh, many of the leading man act- leading man actors, leading men in those productions uh, do. But in terms of a, a kind of a North American focus, I don't think anyone uh, right now is approaching it. And certainly, hey, there's still... Still a lot of road to go before we run out of Eric Roberts' uh, productions. Which is the gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. And speaking of the gift that keeps on giving, one thing that we enjoy here on the show is looking at the latest Eric Roberts news on The Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for episode number 94 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And as per usual, we start with a deep dive on the man himself's Twitter feed. You can follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts. And boy, you should. There's so much exciting stuff happening on that feed. A lot of friends of the show, Liam, getting uh, getting connected with Eric Roberts lately, getting their pictures taken with Eric Roberts. Isn't that exciting? I, I'm stoked every time I see it. I mean, it's it's old hat for us, right, Liam? Because we not only have our picture taken with Eric Roberts and a giant uh, stuffed bear wearing the the logo of our show, but then we talked to him on stage for 90 minutes. It was pretty cool, and we had brunch. And we had brunch with him and Larry Cohen, who despised you and your uh, lunch choice. <laughs> yeah, he was very mean to me. I still <laughs> like his movies, though. <laughs> I will never forget the way that that man eats a hamburger, not for the rest of my life. Anyway, back on um, yesterday, at the time we're recording this, Eric Roberts was tweeting about the upcoming Bob Fosse miniseries, which I believe is going to be uh, airing on Fox in the near future. This is a miniseries. Basically, I guess, um, uh, boy, I should have done a little more research. Liam, this is around the production of Cabaret, I believe, something like that? Uh, I think so. I don't know a lot about it. I know that uh, Sam Rockwell, I believe, is in it. I I think he might even be playing Fosse. And Eric is campaigning currently on Twitter for uh, possibly appearing on this miniseries. Now, I believe that it's probably all filmed, but hey, if they're doing Cabaret or this era, this mid-70s era of Bob Fosse, then they can certainly do 1980 and Star 80. Actually, I guess it was 81 or 82. Star 80 era. So why not have Eric Roberts in a Star 80-themed Bob Fosse biopic miniseries in the future? What do you think about this, Sam? Do you think this is a good idea? Would you watch something like that? I would sob with joy, even though I typically don't enjoy television that i would make an exception for this sam tv is so good right now though yeah but i dislike 
three things in particular. One is hype. If everybody tells me that a show is great, there's some perverse thing in my brain where I just can't like it will be two years until I can watch the show. The second thing is I have the patience of a child and mm. can't wait week to week. Like I'm not somebody who would binge watch a show, but the fact that I am physically incapable of watching the next episode if I want to, it's like I just I can't handle it. Sure. <laughs> so and it's just, you know, I I work a lot. I freelance a ton. So most of what I watch is for work. So it's sort of hard to fit television into that. But I would find a way if they brought Eric Roberts onto a Fosse TV show. Now, Sam, this is a question I'm going to ask you now that we have discussed with some guests in the past. But I think it's particularly pertinent to this. If you had to cast a young Eric Roberts for a behind-the-scenes Star 80 miniseries, what actor... Would you choose? Hmm. I know. It's a toughie. Well, I don't know if he's young enough anymore, but I would have said maybe, well, I don't know. I would have said maybe somebody like Chris Pine, but I don't know that Chris Pine could pull off the, the level of smarm that is required for that character. Right. That is a tricky one. I it's mean, a tricky one. It absolutely – I mean it's hard. Uh, sometimes you know, I think we would have a tendency to try to focus on actors that look like a young Eric Roberts. But there's more to it than that. And like you said, that kind of sleazy, uh, eccentric charm that a young Eric Roberts had, that's a hard thing to replicate in, in a lot of modern actors. Yeah, I mean I think you maybe could get somebody like uh, – his name is escaping me. Who is the sort of really popular Hollywood actor who's attached to the new Ted Bundy movie? That would be Zac Efron. Is it? Is that correct? No, no. Yes. Yes. yes I believe that is correct. So. But you could get somebody like Zac Efron who would be playing against their own type, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Someone who, I mean, and that one of the notable things about Eric Roberts in Star 80 is that he is a beautiful man in that movie. I mean, he really is a very attractive and he has almost a, um, a feminine quality to him that, uh, that I think would be, I think it would be a, a real difficult thing for an actor to grasp it, but that they could really excel if they were trying to recreate that sort of uh, impression that he was creating on that set. Liam, we're talking a lot about this. Do you have any thoughts on an actor in a... Now, I know that you've discussed this in the past, but specifically for Star 80 era Eric Roberts, is there an actor that springs to mind that might be a, a good replacement? I thought we answered this already, and I'm trying to remember who he said. Was it, I, I was said, it I, Reese Darby or something like I think, that? Or Jonathan Reese Myers, I think. Uh, no, is because, that right? But, of course, he's, I believe he's already in his mid-40s. Yeah. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. It, It'd be hard to to make him look like early 20s Eric Roberts at this point. Though I do think that they could do a father and son role. It'd be pretty cool. I do keep thinking of people who look like him and that, but they don't, that doesn't mean they can reproduce the energy. You know what I mean? So. You know, I think he might be a little too old at this point, but do you guys know who Matthew Good is? Oh, yes, certainly. From, uh, From Match Point and Watchmen. Yes. So I think I don't I don't know if either of you have seen the Park Chan-wook movie Stoker. I have. Yes. So I love Stoker and 
It's basically a loose remake of Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. Unfor- he- Unfortunately, we can't talk about that movie on this on this show because it was written by Wentworth Miller, who of course stole Mariah Carey away from Eric Roberts in that music video. Oh no! I know, Liam. I just put all that together. What do you think? <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> It no, was I'm good. So- no, it was good, but it was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry for interrupting you, Sam. No, no, please. I want to hear more about Matthew Good's performance in that movie. Well, I think it has that same kind of feminine quality that you're talking about, mm. where he's he's very seductive. He's probably more seductive than the character in Star Eighty, but I think I think it could work. He, but he might be a little too old now. Mm. He might. I think he might be in his late thirties or early forties. Yeah, though, I mean, I, I, it's a good thought, and that's not an actor I would have thought of, but you're absolutely right. He does have a very unique quality to him. Liam, we've got a continuation, a update on the Verizon troubles that uh, Eric and Eliza Roberts have been <laughs> fixated on on their Twitter feed over the last few weeks. This is just from a couple of hours ago. Hashtag support, question mark. At Verizon support, is that a joke, question mark? Big problems for the Roberts family and no response whatsoever from hashtag Verizon. No company we deal with have has ever been so disorganized and plain terrible. The Roberts family, Liam, not happy with Verizon. Any thoughts? I mean, who is happy with Verizon, really? <laughs> I don't know, Liam. You, you seem to already have some negative feelings. Is it because they're a giant global conglomerate and you are a anti-capitalist? Sure, that's part of it, but uh, I'm sure, like many Americans, if they were good at what they did, I would probably forgive all their evil. But the pro- the problem with a lot of these giant immoral uh, conglomerates is they're also bad at what they do. It's like we we're soulless and we'll crush you, but also we can't even do the thing we're supposed to do well. It's a, it's a real bummer. Well, we are joining the Roberts family here, and Eric Roberts is the fucking man in boycotting Verizon, Liam. I mean, I'm not. That's my cell phone character. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I hate them. <laughs> Sam, any thoughts on Verizon? Are they your cell phone carrier? Uh, I use Sprint, so Verizon can go fuck themselves. Yeah, <laughs> go fuck yourself, Verizon. Liam is dropping his cell plan tomorrow and getting Sprint or some other competitor. I gotta pay my phone off first. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as you do, Verizon are out the window. Is that right, Liam? Sure, that sounds good. Back back on February 23rd, and this is a unique thing for the show. You know, recently, uh, Eliza Roberts, at Mom Eliza Roberts on Twitter, she's been tweeting a lot more, and that's very exciting. And one of the things she has tweeted is a picture, Liam, combining our two favorite things, cats, Eric Roberts. Now, Sam, you mentioned to me in private that you were amused by this photo. Here on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the, the relationship between Eric Roberts and cats is something that has been documented for a very long time. In fact, just last year, well, I guess maybe it was two years ago now, uh, Eric and Eliza Roberts appeared on My Cat from Hell to talk (laughs) about some of the difficulties they had with their own cat. Uh, And, of course, when uh, on the episode of Celebrity Wife Swap that we watched where Eric and Robin Leach switched lives, we got a (laughs) lot of insight into the cat activity in the Roberts household. They love animals. Now, uh, Liam, which, uh, which two of the cats are these? Is that Stevie in Wonder? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. I think who's not pictured is uh, Brooklyn, right? Where's Brooklyn? Because Brooklyn, I think, was a was a black cat, if, if my memory serves. Well, the one closest to Eric is kind of black and grayish. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's Brooklyn. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember now. <laughs> well, Eric looks very happy in this photo with the three cats on a bed, really enjoying himself. Uh, Sam, your thoughts on cats and Eric Roberts with cats in particular? Honestly, I'm not a big fan of cats, mm-hmm. but Eric Roberts being next to the cats makes them more appealing. It's, it's a nice, honestly, you know, I... Everyone a, looks so relaxed in that picture. I'm a cynical guy. It's just natural 2019. But when I see a picture like this, I feel that cynicism sort of melting away. I really do like this photo. Uh, Eliza writes, moments like this, and then she uses an emoji for like a paw prints and hearts. Hashtag Eric Roberts. Hashtag kitties. Hashtag love. You gotta love it, Liam. It's great. It's terrific, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just love, I love how just goofy he looks in this picture, too. So Eric Roberts, uh, unlike the two of you, and in fact me as well, uh, he watched the Academy Awards, or at least part of it, because he uh, was discussing the performance of the song Shallow by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, which uh, was one of, uh, according to many, a highlight of the broadcast. Uh, Eric Roberts tweeted, Never seen being nervous be so endearing. An unforgettably beautiful, vulnerable, beautifully directed and real moment. Thanks for doing that for us. At Lady Gaga and Bradley. I guess each Bradley Cooper is just Bradley in the uh, Roberts household. Uh, Liam, Lady Gaga's performance at the Oscars. Did you did you follow up on that after the broadcast uh, was over? No, I haven't had a chance. I was too busy being sick. Oh, that's right. Well, you're going to get to that? Uh, I might. Okay. Sam, what kind of music do you enjoy? A wide variety. Uh, mm-hmm. I tend to like mostly non sort of mainstream music, but I I have room in my heart for some pop music on occasion. Do you enjoy punk music? Yeah, I'd say mostly like punk and metal. Punk and you know who likes uh, punk music is Liam O'Donnell. Uh, He has a website called Cinepunks (laughs) and he, uh, one of the things that some people have said to me when they listen to Eric Roberts as the fucking man is they think that you're a straight edge punk, Liam. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they think it because you have to bring it up every episode. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who are some of your favorite punk and metal artists, Sam? Uh, well, off the top of my head, uh, Judas Priest, uh, Iron Maiden, um, Black Sabbath. As far as punk goes, I think mm. Liam and I do not like the same type oh, of punk. That's what I was kind of hoping for. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, I, you know, grew up in New Jersey and Ooh, everyone on the show grew up in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait for it. So I grew up in New Jersey at a time when there were not a lot of other women going to shows. And mm. so hardcore dudes were the bane of my existence. So I kind right. of, I grew up hating hardcore because like, you know, they were all, all guys like Liam showed up to the shows. Well, Liam, <laughs> I did not have any encounters with Liam when I was a teenager. But that you know about. That yeah. we know about. But Liam probably did not punch me in the face at some point. So Actually, Liam, uh, you said previously on the show that you uh, got into all sorts of scuffles at these hardcore shows. No. What yeah. I said was that... No, what I said was that yeah. I danced I danced hard, but I didn't get into fights. I've never been in a fight in my life. I've been jumped a few times, but I've never been in a But you're you're fight. in there pogoing and throwing arms around and, and someone could get punched. Your ability oh, your I'm, your your efforts to relate, Doug, are always making me feel very bad in my in my soul. I'm I'm also I'm not talking about that kind of like hardcore dancing. I don't have a problem with that. What I mean is like 
somebody picking a fight with me because I'm there and I'm a girl and I'm not there as someone's girlfriend. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's not that's not my vibe at all. No, no, no. And I mean that same sort of shit happens at metal shows. So, like that's not what bothers me. It's more the a certain attitude. Hmm. That's why I only go to Sufjan Stevens concerts. Liam, what do you think? Oh no. <laughs> oh my gosh. What? He he combines faith and soft folk music. Liam, your two favorite things. <laughs> I feel like you script out these moments just to make me <laughs> as uncomfortable as possible. I love Sophia I Stevens. still want to get. I still want to get. Well, first of all, I my response was just because it was goofy. I don't actually have a problem with Sufjan Stevens. On February twentieth, Eric Roberts tweeted, "Where's the wonderful puppy pic I just saw that disappeared?" <laughs> In a sea of tweets. Of all the tweets that I've read on the Eric Roberts Twitter feed, I have to say this might be the most relatable one. Sometimes I see a picture of a very cute puppy, and I wonder, I go back later and I can't find it, Liam. Sam, have you ever, now you hate cats. You've made that very clear. Uh, frankly, a little intense about it. But how well, about no, dogs? I don't, I, don't, I don't hate cats. You despise. I, Sorry. I, I don't like cat people. Like Oh. It, so cats on their own are fine. I don't think I would ever have one, but it's more the sort of social media barrage of oh. look, look at my cat. My cat is the greatest, and it's like your cat is the greatest to you. But like, I don't want to see twelve hundred pictures of your cat unless Eric Roberts is in the picture. It's a, it's a good point. Have you ever had this experience where you're on your social media feed and you see a cute dog or cat? Go by, and you have to go back later to show it to someone, and you can't find it. Constantly, it's it, very upsetting. It's very. What do you do about it? Uh, find some way to get on with my life. Although I, <laughs> I figured out that <laughs> I figured out that you can, at least in Instagram, you can sort of like bookmark things. Yes, if, of course. If you really need to go back oh. to it. Oh. It's with with Twitter. It's a a battle that like I'm not that engaged with Twitter because it moves too fast mm. and I can never find things again and so it's sort of like I will engage with your tweet if it happens to show up on my timeline when I have Twitter open so Liam does it bother you sometimes that oh so many tweets are just going by lost forever like tears and rain <laughs> no I for the most part have let go of my need to control my twitter feed but occasionally there is something that i see and i think oh that's interesting and then i'm doing something in life so i can't pay attention enough to it and then it's gone and i can't find it but it's it's not that big a deal chris hemsworth thor himself is going to play hulk hogan in a biopic of the wwe legend directed by uh todd what's his name <laughs> wait it's here somewhere um <clears throat> uh no it's not here uh, Todd, hangover guy, what's his name? Boy, Liam, this would be a great time for you to jump in with his name. I mean, it would be, but I don't know who You know, you should know who he is because he directed that Gigi Allen documentary. The original oh. punk. Oh. <laughs> Todd Phillips. There we go. Oh, Todd Phillips. Okay, I didn't know Todd Phillips was doing this movie. He is. That's, that's a surprise. Well, Yeah, it, I'm, I'm surprised at that. Well, well, you guys should need to be more online. <laughs> Because I'm well aware that Todd Phillips, outside of his name, is directing this Hulk Hogan biopic. Now, we're not here to talk about Hulk Hogan, Liam. I know that you uh, fanatically despise both him and everything around professional wrestling. But 
This is still a really interesting concept. Uh, I like Chris Hemsworth. He's he's one of the good Chris's, right, Liam? He seems all right. Uh, of the four Chris's, we already mentioned Chris Pine in this episode. We have Chris Evans and Chris. Who's the other Chris? Pratt. Pratt. Oh, Pratt. Yeah. Rank the Chris's. Let's start with Sam. Oh, Chris mm-hmm. Hemsworth for sure. Okay. Is at the top. Then probably Chris Pine. Oh. Uh, I guess Chris Evans is fine, but Chris Pratt is the worst and should be sent in a rocket ship to outer space. It does seem like it's a general consensus at this point that Chris Pratt is the worst. I'm starting to think we should only call him the three Chris's because it's so clear that he's number four. But Liam, you might disagree. Rank him. Which one is Pratt? Pratt is the one from Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Parks and Recreation. He's the one they we just found out he goes to that bad church, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, he can be at the bottom. Uh, Hemsworth can be at the top. Oh. The other two. Uh, I actually like Ev- Evans as Captain America, right? Yeah. 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 So Hemsworth, Evans, uh, P- Pine is uh, Pine Pine's... is the new Captain Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. I don't really care about him. He doesn't. I don't dislike him per se, but I I. I don't have any like, oh, I love him in whatever. I just don't. He hasn't really clicked with me for whatever reason. And Pratt, I mean, the reason Pratt goes at the bottom is because I thought I liked him when he was on Parks and Rec. And then the more famous he got, the more I was kind of like not sure about him. And then this uh, this uh, uh, church debacle is is not is not a good look. He loves God, guns and Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. Is that right? Yeah, I believe they are uh, engaged. Don't love that. Wait, <laughs> was he married to that annoying blonde woman? He was annoyed. Annoy, sorry, he was married to Anna Ferris. They broke up, I believe. In fact, I guess they would have to since he is engaged now to uh, to Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. I don't usually participate in these rankings here on Eric Roberts the Fucking Man, <laughs> but I'm just going to put out there: Chris Evans, number one with a bullet. Seems like a real decent fellow. But I do like Chris Hemsworth, who is playing Hulk Hogan in this very strange-sounding biopic. But the reason we're bringing it up on the Eric Roberts podcast is because Eric Roberts would make a great Vince McMahon, I think. Now, he's a, he's a, he might be a little old. Uh, for, well, not older than the current Vince McMahon. But since this is a biopic, it might be a little difficult. But hey, there's not that many actors out there who could play a convincing Vince McMahon. And I think Eric Roberts is the man for the job. So I'm saying... We need to start a hashtag campaign, Eric as McMahon. Hmm? How about that? Hashtag Eric as McMahon. Put it out there into the world. Let's get Eric into this biopic, Liam. Do you agree? Sounds good to me. You don't care, do you, Liam? No, I don't care. (laughs) Sam, do you know enough about Vince McMahon to make any sort of statement on whether I'm being stupid about suggesting Eric Roberts should play him? Oh, no. Eric Roberts would be a great Vince McMahon. You know what he would probably say? He would say, you're fired. <laughs> That's one of the things that Vince uh, McMahon says, Liam. Oh, I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> Tortured. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Doug knows this, actually, but Sam, you don't know. At where I used to work, they would find it really funny to put on there's a six-minute edit of Vince McMahon just say you're fired over and over again on YouTube, and they would just put it on at work and let it play. And it's only funny for the first minute. And then it's just being funny. I'm well, so sorry. It remains pretty funny to me, Liam. Yeah, well, of course it does. 
Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2018's AI Tales, which is a collection of four short science fiction films directed, uh, directed by Kristen Hilkert, uh, Nelson Lee, Amir Reichardt, and Vitaly Verlov. These four filmmakers have award-winning science fiction-based short stories about space travel, family, and artificial intelligence. Uh, a lot of uh, names <laughs> in the cast uh, that I don't necessarily recognize, but Eric Roberts plays a character called tailored man i'm not sure which of the four shorts he appears in but uh liam what do you think about these kind of portmanteau films where there's multiple stories being told in a single film i i mean there are examples that i really like but um there are plenty where i don't enjoy that they go wrong really easily right it's really hard to make a great one that's for sure there isn't a ton of great ones that i have seen though i'm a big fan of the Amicus and uh, Hammer style uh, collections of the 1970s, like Tales from the Crypt, uh, and my favorite Asylum. Uh, Sam, do you have a favorite uh, portmanteau film? This is hard for me to answer because, to me, I guess I have sort of like two mental car- categories of them. One are horror films, as you mentioned, sure. which I tend to like. I've watched them since a kid, since I was a kid, and I tend to sort of watch those every kind of like October, November, December. And I love Tales from the Crypt, love Asylum. I I mean, I guess to me, it's like, I don't really, it's hard to pick a favorite because they're in that sort of like comfort food film category. But there are also a lot of like really weird kind of 70s European art house anthology films that are pretty interesting. Like Pasolini directed a couple. There's some that Godard contributed to. So it's like those can be really hit or miss. So something like this, I don't necessarily have high hopes for, though I'm sure Eric Roberts would be great in it. It's interesting you mentioned, you know, uh, the Pasolini segment of, uh, boy, what's the name of the movie? Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. Like the one with the, par- the part with uh, Orson Welles in it. Um, th- I think that that's one of his, his, of what I've seen, one of his finest works. And you're right. Uh, it seems like certain filmmakers can really excel in these multiple lengths, but... Uh, but it's, it's hard. And I, maybe it's a little more difficult with horror simply because you need to hit all of these different beats and then end strong uh, and, and come up with something unique. Uh, of those horror ones that you grew up with, do you have a specific fave or do, are, is there just so many that it would be difficult to pick? Well, I mean, I tend to watch the, the Vincent Price ones, I think, were sort of my introduction to that, like the... The ones that he did with Roger Corman, and sure. I love those because around the same time I started watching them, I was introduced to the literature as well. So oh, it was right. really great to kind of see them adapted. Um, I don't know; it's tricky. It's sort of like lately, my favorite has been—I don't know if you guys have seen the BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas which I don't really know if they count as anthology films, but I tend to sort of watch all the episodes together, so it feels like one. Sure. But I I think the British ones are just so good. You know, it looks like we're about to enter a new, well, let's hope, golden age of anthology television shows with the return of 
Tales from the Crypt and uh, Twilight Zone and potentially Tales from the Dark Side. And uh, there's actually a couple of more. And Creepshow, which is a return, what not returning, it's actually arriving as now a actual dedicated series. It might be uh, an opportunity for a lot of filmmakers who've never had an opportunity uh, to make a short uh, version of something like that, a, a short uh, horror segment to really hone their skills on it. Uh, one of the things about the Masters of Horror series from a few years back, I really enjoyed it for what it was, but I have to say that that a lot of them were a little underwhelming. Would you agree with that, Liam? Did you check out those Masters of Horror? Uh, I've only I've only seen a couple actually. Um, it was when it was um, when it was sort of on the air, I guess, so mm-hmm. to speak. I didn't have access to it, and then since I just haven't gone back. To find them, if one of the streaming services would just add them, I'd probably like just go through them, you know, sort of casually. But I haven't had the the uh, ability to like just buy a set or something, you know. I think they were on Hulu for a while, but I'm not sure if they still are. Sam, did you have any uh, thoughts on that Masters of Horror series, or did you stay away from it because you hate television? Uh, I passionately hate Masters of Horror, mm-hmm. and I feel really bad saying that because. I love the idea. Like, I love this sort of concept of getting classic horror directors work in, you know, the 2000s when maybe some of them weren't able to make the kind of genre films they wanted to keep making. But it just was so poorly produced. And I'm so I'm not a Mick Garris fan. I I love hearing that, Sam, because I am not a fan. Look, he seems like a nice guy. He obviously gets along well with all of these filmmakers. But I find his work to be almost universally bad. And the work that he gets other directors uh, to, to be able to do, that's usually bad, too. Yeah, I feel like you have to have a special sort of talent to bring together people like John Carpenter and Takashi Miike and Dario Argeno, like some of my favorite directors and have them all churn out crap. Like, <laughs> how do you even do that? How, how does that happen? It's, it's a question for the ages. Uh, perhaps uh, we'll see some opportunities for some of these filmmakers to uh, take part in some of these new series. Maybe we'll see something a little bit more inspired. But you know what? I think it's enough talking about anthologies because we got a movie to talk about. A movie chosen by Sam for us to discuss. Uh, it's The Glass Cage from the year 1995. This is a Playboy production, so it must be very erotic. We'll find out all about it right now. After this,
swarthy Paul Yeager arrives in New Orleans and promptly gets a job bartending at Le Cage de Verre, a show bar where his former girlfriend Jacqueline is a dancer and the mole of its sadistic owner, Marco. He and Jacqueline smuggle diamonds and drugs with the local police detective in on the take. Even though Paul is ex-CIA, he's not undercover. He just wants to win Jacqueline back. His CIA pals from Black Ops are on hand, hoping to arrest Marco's boss. Detective Montrachet finds out Paul's past and sets up a double cross. Her aims uh, are less her aims are less clear to get back with Paul, to stay with Marco, or to run her own scam and scamper away. It's 1996's. The Glass Cage. And yeah, as I mentioned before the break, uh, where I got the year wrong, it's 1996. This was a Playboy production. It was produced by Playboy uh, and directed by Michael Schroeder, uh, who actually uh, horror and cult fans might uh, know from his uh, directing work of Mur- Mortuary Academy and the uh, cult classic Out of the Dark. He also directed the action sequels Cyborg 2 and 3. And this was written by uh, Peter uh, Yerksitis, who actually has only written one other thing, which is an episode of Night Heat, the classic Canadian television series. Yeah, if there's a connection to Canadian TV. You're always going to hear it on Eric Roberts at the Fucking Man. And co-written by David Keith Miller, who uh, actually appeared in the unreleased Fantastic Four movie produced by Roger Corman, and also has a very interesting history of screenwriting. He actually has done a lot of erotic thrillers, including some pornography. Uh, so it all uh, kind of fits together, just like uh, Sam was saying earlier. It's all a great tapestry of different kind of films and filmmaking, but he is one of the writers on display here, and I'm going to guess that he was more responsible for what's on display here. Uh, Eric Roberts does indeed play the um, the the police officer in uh, New Orleans, in Louisiana, uh, <laughs> that is uh, in the midst of things, but this movie really stars Richard Tyson as Paul Yeager, and uh, we're going to talk all about it right now. This is an erotic thriller, as you probably are not surprised by, by that plot summary, and also from uh, from it being produced by Playboy, but there is there are some wrinkles, there are some twists on display here. I'm going to start with you, Liam. What did you think of the movie The Glass Cage? Well, I mean, um, there's a there's some things about it that aren't that bad. Um, <laughs> List them. <laughs> uh, it gave me a sense of nostalgia because there was a time where. Um, if I was house sitting for certain folks or I was, uh, you know, at people's houses who had <laughs> HBO or even better, Skinamax. Oh, damn. Uh, Liam's going to get his bone on in someone else's house. <laughs> <laughs> they might have they might have a movie like this available. And I remember watching these really thinking something like super crazy was going to happen. And, of course, almost always being disappointed. Uh, but. But there was a sense of nostalgia to that, like, oh, man, is this is a sexy time movie, woo! <laughs> uh, um, and uh, and we'll, we'll as, as everyone who listens to the show knows, we'll get into it later, but I think there's a lot to say here about Eric Roberts in this movie. Um, removing those things, I mean, you know, Richard Tyson's funny. He's a funny guy. Uh, I, well, I don't what do you mean, mean funny? Me. No, I want to hear what your thoughts are. Why is Richard Tyson funny? He's because... Um, so swarthy. Yeah, well, he he should be delivering a comedic performance in this movie, Um, but I don't think he is. I think this is just him trying to be this character. Like, it it really, he really feels like, um, he he really feels like a caricature 
of a certain kind of erotic thriller star, <laughs> but but he's just doing it for real. And something about that was kind of at first it's very off putting. Like when he first shows up, I'm like, what is going on with this guy? Uh, but by the end of the movie, I was kind of laughing at it. Like it, at every scene, he just seems kind of slightly drunk. And he's kind of hopping around a little bit, n- never really seriously present in any one moment. There's just something about that that, like, towards the end of the film was was making me laugh a little bit. And so many of the performances in this thing are so really bad that at least his bad performance was humorous for me. So uh, that was a bit of a bright spot. Uh, outside of that, you know, this movie is not just uh, a bad, sexy movie. But it's a bad, unsexy movie, and that, I think, pushes it into the realm of, of maybe partially unforgivable. I'm, I don't know. It's interesting in that this movie does feature a, a, a decent amount of nudity, uh, mostly of the topless variety. Uh, but it's it's not a very sexy movie, at least for me it wasn't. Uh, and maybe my expectations, because it was a Playboy production, was that it was going to lean a little heavier on the sexy rather than the uh, espionage or... Uh, weird kind of tributes to uh, classic Humphrey Bogart movies that are on display here, but it it is kind of a weird, uneven mix. Uh, when you saw when you for anyone who grew up in the 1990s, if you went to a video store in 1997, let's say, your video store shelves would be packed with erotic thrillers. There was they were just everywhere. You know, there'd be Shannon Tweet. There's just tons of them that were out there. A lot of low budget erotic thrillers, and I guess many of them were kind of like this. But this feels more like like someone was trying to remake Casablanca in the style of the Red Shoe Diaries. It was a really weird mix of of influences on display here. Sam, what did you think of The Glass Cage? Well, I have to tell you, I have a real weakness for 90s erotic thrillers. Sure. Yes. It is, that's why I wanted to watch this one so much. Also because I love, it doesn't matter what decade they're from, I love thrillers and horror movies where and i guess also exploitation films where in some way dancers strippers sex workers of any kind are sort of under duress and as you mentioned this was directed by michael schroeder and he made this film that i am obsessed with called out of the dark which it's is so good it's oh so my good. god it's so good like if if you want to see a Michael Schroeder movie, maybe start with Out of the Dark and not The Glass Cage. But but I I figured, okay, if one Michael Schroeder erotic thriller is that bananas, maybe this will at least be entertaining. And I don't know. I, I really, I could be such a snob about so many things, as I'm sure your listeners have picked up on in this episode so far. But like 90s erotic thrillers, I'll watch anything. And so the fact that this has <laughs> Richard Tyson channeling what I can only think of as the sort of Eric DeRay, Leo Johnson school of acting throughout <laughs> most, <laughs> most of the movie. But it's like Eric Roberts is genuinely good. And then you have Richard Mall show up, who I also am kind of obsessed with. <laughs> He gives like the worst performance (laughs) in a way that I found really endearing. Like he just keeps threatening to shoot people like (laughs) in broad daylight. Like that's a reasonable thing for a CIA member to do. Like (laughs) I I really liked it. (laughs) So in the, in that kind of, since you're a fan of the genre 
when it comes to sort of low-budget erotic thrillers of the, the, that time period, do you think that this kind of, like, where does this stand? Obviously, you know, it's, it's hard to compare it to something with a bit of a higher budget that's a little bit more polished, but in that realm of kind of uh, straight-to-VHS-style thrillers, do you think this is a superior version of something like that? Well, to me, there are sort of two branches of erotic thrillers from that period. Branch number one, which I prefer, are films that are so sleazy that they basically are, I guess, representative of a brief period in time when it seemed like Hollywood was hellbent on making exploitation films, like something like you know, Basic Instinct or Color of Night. Like, those are exploitation movies with high budgets. Mm -hmm. And this is not one of those. Like, like you said, there's some nudity. There are a lot of random sequences of strippers who only minimally strip, but really, like, dance these choreographed sequences that I I love shit like that, but it's, (laughs) it's not for most people. But... The second category of erotic thriller to me are these sorts of films where they aren't that erotic, they don't have much sex, they're not as sleazy as they could be, but they take themselves really seriously and it's basically like reading a cheap pulp novel from the 40s. Like those a lot of those books are restrained because of, you know, the publishing industry and sort of moral standards they had to be. So it's very much like if somebody adapted like a cheap Dashiell Hammett cast off in 1996. And I love how seriously it takes itself. Like it makes me so happy. It's interesting. I mean, there is an attempt here to do something somewhat noirish with the character of Richard Tyson, or what I should say is the actor Richard Tyson playing the character of Paul Yeager. <laughs> well, I mean, same difference. <laughs> the plot does borrow liberally from uh, from Casablanca, certainly, and especially in the final moments, but also with its uh, diamond-smuggling uh, central MacGuffin, it, it does have some similarities to the Maltese Falcon. Now, this is not either of those two films, but I do think that there's a clear influence on display here. But one of the things that lets this movie down... I enjoyed it in the sense that I didn't find it very boring. I, I was engaged with some of the twists and turns that were occurring. I did find some of the performances amusing. But I will say that what I thought was the biggest letdown in this movie, and the thing that makes the movie a little difficult to watch, is the performance of Horatio Anthony playing Marco. Marco is the club owner in this movie, and he is terrible. Uh, I think he's only had one other acting performance in this. The strange thing about this is... He has his the, the the actor who plays his brother, who you don't spend a lot of time with in the movie. He's an experienced actor, perfectly fine in this movie. But instead, you have this dude playing Marco, and he is so weak. His accent is ridiculous. His performance is not quite. I wouldn't say over the top. It, in some ways, it's it's not over the top enough to be amusing or fun to watch. He just is really stiff and bad, and it, I I found him distracting the entire movie. This is not a movie where you see a lot of, you know, tremendous performances. I also think that guy who played the blind blues musician is, whew, not a great performance there either, but at least he's a fun character. But I I just feel like when your villain is so weak, it kind of takes down the, especially in like a pulpy type uh, noirish movie, it really kind of takes away from the whole thing. Was it just me, Uh, Sam? Did you have any difficulty with this Marco character? So... 
Earlier you mentioned that, you know, it seems like it borrows plot elements from like classic 40s films. And Mm. to me, that sort of central kind of love triangle between the club owner and, you know, the new guy that he hires and the dancer who is his girlfriend is ripped off directly from Gilda. Oh, right. Of course. Which I'm obsessed with. And I especially am obsessed with George McCready, who plays that film's villain. And George McCready is sort of like an earlier Eric Roberts. So it's like in my head, like he has some very similar qualities, like super seductive, you know, he's up to no good, but you like him anyway, so on and so forth. And so it was really difficult to watch him with that sort of like superior character type in my head. And he just... (laughs) His accent, like, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking because it's like, you know, it's pretty standard to have Hollywood films where the villain has a European accent, but like Americans are not afraid of French people. Like, why would you make the biggest, baddest, scariest character in the film French? Like, it just, on some level, it's like, why? Like, (laughs) did you want people to laugh at him? Well, I mean, you know, it, it. We'll talk about it when we get to Eric Roberts, but it's interesting that you were talking about sort of having an Eric Roberts type as the villain, because I will say that despite how much I enjoy Eric Roberts' performance, which is a little hint at my reaction to him in this movie, I do think that he would have done a, a much stronger job as the villain. And, and you know, I, there's no real reason that he couldn't have done that, especially because even though he's not trying a French accent in this movie, he is supposed to be a character that speaks French and does speak the patois throughout the movie. I also want to talk a little bit about Charlotte Lewis, who plays the uh, female lead in this movie, playing Jacqueline, the Rita Hayworth, if you will, of this movie. Uh, Liam, I'm just going to jump over to you. I haven't asked you really about Marco, but I imagine that you didn't much care for that performance. <laughs> what did you think of, uh, of Charlotte Lewis as Jacqueline? Um, yeah, not my favorite. I mean, I, it, I don't know. I want to say she's not great. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that, um, she's mostly written to be angry the whole movie. Like a lot of her scenes, she's mad at Marco or she's mad at Jaeger. Uh, and she kind of alternates between the two and then she dances a lot in not <laughs> sexy dances. And that's kind of the whole thing. And then, and then, you know, Spoiler, and then she's she's a meanie who runs off with the diamond. So, you know that that that's kind of the whole character. So I don't want to just say like her performance is bad when when it's it's there's not a lot there for her, but she's just also not very compelling. And, um, it, you know, I I feel like when you're playing when you're in a scene with Richard Tyson as this ridiculous character, I really want you to be able to like interact with his goofiness and she just she just couldn't it just wasn't there yeah. and so i, I it, it was it was a bit of a bummer for me uh, i think she was a former playboy playmate uh, i know that she yeah. most notably uh, she's known for her relationship um with roman polanski but we certainly won't get into that here and the golden child and the golden child honestly when i think of her and seeing her in this movie, what I first thought of was The Golden Child, because I think that might be the only other movie that I remember her face being in. Maybe it's the only movie I've ever seen her in outside of this. Um, what did you think of her performance, Sam? Oh, it's not good. Liam is right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think she's likable in other things. I mean, she's also, and I had to look this up because 
she looked familiar, but outside of Golden Child, I like it just wasn't making a connection in my brain. But she's also in a Dolph Lundgren movie, and it's you know, I don't want to disparage anyone's talent, but I think this is sort of the fate of a lot of Playboy models is when they go into movies, they don't they're not always given a chance, and I think she's not really given much of a chance with with this sort of unfortunate part. It it certainly is a kind of a thankless role and she is supposed to be I mean she's not, certainly not playing a real femme fatale here. I think there's a a suggestion that she uh is manipulating uh Richard Tyson's character to some extent, but it doesn't really go anywhere. I mean this is a movie that is twisty to a certain extent, but you could probably see a lot of it coming uh, outside of maybe where Eric Roberts and maybe where Richard Mull's character is is going <laughs> in this movie. That, so it is revealed about halfway through the movie that Richard Tyson's character is a former CIA agent. And uh, he spent a year in a military jail. And now he is back in the U.S. He's tracking down Jacqueline. But he's also being tailed by these other CIA agents, including kind of this, this upper level person played by Richard Mull. Uh, and... Uh, for those who don't know who Richard Mall is, you probably will know him best as Bull from Night Court. Uh, I know him best from his many Charles Band appearances uh, in the 1980s. Uh, and But he's a, uh, a towering figure. And as Sam mentioned, he looks and acts ridiculous in this fucking movie. It is something to behold. But he also seems like he's coming out of a different movie that is maybe a little bit more fun than the one that we're actually yeah. watching. Uh, but it is just such a strange element to include. But I think it was probably just to make sure that we have a way of... Of wrapping things up as neatly as possible at the very end. Um, what uh, actually? I want to get your thoughts, Liam. Now, what do you think of Richard Mull as an actor, and what did you think of that here? Did, did you? It seems like you agreed that he seemed like he was in. He was acting from a different movie. Well, yeah, that whole. It's not just his performance, which is in fact ridiculous and awesome, <laughs> but uh, it's also just that that entire plot line makes almost no sense like that it, th- this whole aspect of this character the the entire uh cia aspect of this character doesn't really make any sense um and so having him show up and you know the extent to which we get that he is a cia guy is that he's very mean to jaeger like right. that he threatens him, and he threatens a lot of people that he's going to shoot them. And that's about all we get. There's no, like, <laughs> a- apparently being in the CIA just means being capable and willing to do violence, which, now that I think about it, might be actually pretty accurate <laughs> to real life. But but the, 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 the point is is that it just doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense in this movie. And so, like, you take that, that it's it's already a weird thing that I don't understand why it's there. And then he just shows up. He's just like, rah, rah. like he's, yeah. he's just going for it in every scene. Whereas um, <clears throat> a lot of the other folks in the movie, you know, they don't have uh, they don't have the dungeon master chops under their belt. You know, <laughs> that's not who they are. And so they can't really bring that to the screen. And so he shows up. He he literally could still be in Dungeon Master. And he just this is his next. He's showed up here. You know, like that's just how intense he is. He's he's not quite Big Ben, but he's definitely Dungeon Master level in this. It's uh, it's interesting how he's my problem with this movie kind of outside of some of the things I mentioned, is that the Paul Yeager character is a little bit too noble uh, in how he plays his role. Like, 
the 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 scene in which Richard Mull is introduced into the movie comes where Richard Tyson has been given this ten thousand dollars to murder somebody, and instead of doing that, he's going to give the guy ten thousand dollars and tell him to run off, which just seems like it's like this is a CIA guy and that's what he's doing. But uh, and of course the dude who has been really more trouble than he was worth right up to that point, is immediately killed by Richard Mull. I wonder if, uh, who, who ended up with that $10,000. Anyway, I don't know if they ever explained that. But but Richard Tyson's character, he's just too obviously a good guy. So even when he's like, he, when he's like involved in the twists and turns, you never really think that he's going to do anything that is excessively bad and that he's going to somehow get away with it there's a, a feel a feeling that i had at the very end of the movie that they would have loved to make like a whole series of these movies where richard tyson and his good buddy eric roberts they they are solving crimes in louisiana or something along those lines uh it would be my dream if yeah. they, if i got a time machine and could remake this with uh wings hauser in the richard tyson <laughs> role because yes. I feel like he would make so many more bad choices that would be more believable. Like he would be, I don't know, probably doing Coke off the bar. And right. he, he definitely would have taken the $10,000 for himself and all of the diamonds. Like it's just, he's way too squeaky clean. Richard Tyson. Well, the Richard Tyson, Paul Yeager too, it's this kind of morality that it, it comes across in the movie like he can be really good because he really doesn't give a fuck. Like, other than apparently wanting back this woman who just yells at him all the time, <laughs> nothing matters. Like, nothing matters to him. So he can do the right thing because who gives a fuck, man? Whatever, bro. Like, everything is chill until it comes to her. But, like, why? Like, it, it's... Other than the fact that he apparently abandoned her somewhere in Eastern Europe, which I assume is just a requirement of the CIA, you must abandon. No, he all... was. He said that it was because he was stuck in the military jail, and then as soon as he got oh, out, right, right, he right, tried right, to right, find right. her. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. But again, the, uh, this random story that we're not show, shown any other emotional way for. Other than that, why does he care? Like his whole entire being there doesn't make sense, especially when in every other aspect of the movie, he's very much like whatever man like yeah it's just a very strange way to play the role his his do-gooderness might make more sense if he seemed <laughs> to care about something else in the world well i will say that uh if you wanted to remake this movie now you could do it for much less money <laughs> because both <laughs> eric roberts and richard tyson are ready to work in fact if you go to richard tyson's imdb profile he's got like two dozen projects in, in various stages of production including one called nightwalk which is a film that is yet to be released. I think it's in post-production at the moment that features Mickey Rourke, Tiny Lister. Now, now this is amazing. This is like the uh, Eric Roberts trifecta. Mickey Rourke, Tiny Lister, and Richard Tyson, along with Eric Roberts. I don't think that... So I think Richard uh, Eric has been in uh, movies with uh, Tiny Lister something like a dozen times, including... Um, some of his very earliest roles because I believe he appears in Runaway Train very briefly and Mickey Rourke obviously the, they they basically grew up together in the 80s so uh, Nightwalk is coming soon if you want to see all of these hard hitters uh, in one movie but yeah so Richard Tyson has become one of those actors that I was mentioning at the very beginning of the show who really just is working constantly but I don't know if I am as interested in checking out some of these works as I am uh, when it comes to Eric Roberts that said Liam you know going back to what you said when we first started talking about this movie the two roles that i connect with richard tyson most is 
his villain role in Kindergarten Cop, and as the bully <laughs> in Three O'clock High, which is a movie I saw a million times when I was growing up. Um, and I, I love those performances; they're very strange in a lot of ways. So maybe he's got a lot more going on than I really think. It's just in this kind of goody goody, you know, uh, protagonist role. He's just not for me. Do you think maybe Liam that I should dive deeper into the career of Richard Tyson? I mean, it, it would be an interesting thing to do. I, I wouldn't take any blood oaths on it, but... Uh, oh, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it could be interesting. I, you know, clearly, he didn't... He didn't. Ch- it's not like... I, I mean, obviously, he's making choices here, but I'm not sure that the idea that uh, Paul Yeager is both ex-CIA and, like, a totally chill slacker man, like, I don't think that's all Richard Tyson. Like, someone said like you know paul yeager walks in in his sleeveless flannel and baggy acid wash jeans like someone made that decision for him and he's (laughs) riding in and out and i just think that was a weird decision for anyone to make uh before we go on to eric roberts i just want to get quickly from both of you uh you both mentioned that uh the director michael schroeder he had excelled with out of the dark which is a very interesting uh movie certainly a little bit more worthwhile than the glass cage i think we would all agree on um is there anything visual on display? Is there anything in his directing that you thought was notable in this? I have to be honest, when I, when I made the comparison to the Red Shoe Diaries, that's really what I was thinking when I was watching this. There's not a lot of visual flourishes. Uh, starting with you, Sam, anything that, that kind of stuck out in terms of directorial work? Um, well, not to be mean, but in a sort of comforting, endearing way, it reminded me of like a 90s made-for-TV movie, the way a lot of it was shot. <laughs> But then there would occasionally... So the way that that you mentioned earlier, how it seems like Richard Mall wandered in from the set of another film, which I totally agree with, there are sequences in the movie where it seems like the camera has wandered into a different film from the 80s. Like, the, the scenes that I mentioned earlier where the action just kind of stops and there's this basically plot filler that allows us to watch some strippers dancing around... <laughs> those scenes are way more like neon and stylized in a way that makes no sense because most of the movie is set in the club, which I think we mentioned, but it cuts back and forth between two kinds of clubs. Like there's this sort of eighties stripper club. And then there's, I think earlier you mentioned how there's a a blind black musician. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost like they're trying to do this sort of New Orleans kind of roadhouse type thing. And it just like, they don't work. They don't make any sense together, but because of that sort of eighties vibe, I like some of the trashier sequences. Otherwise it's like a made for TV movie. It's interesting to note that the cinematographer for this movie was John B. Aronson, who's gone on to do a lot of television work, including Suits, uh, which, of course, Eric Roberts appears on, but also uh, many episodes of American Horror Story, and also Gifted Hands, the Ben Carson story, the TV movie about Ben Carson, Lee. And what do you think about that? Start Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> I'm totally good. You want to check that out? Cuba? No. Nope. Nope. Liam, uh, any of the directorial uh, work uh, impress you here? Not particularly. I did notice what uh, Sam was saying. It 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 felt so much like two different clubs that at times I sus- I wondered if the dance sequences had been filmed for a different Playboy project and then just been edited into this movie. 
but but some of the shots seem to suggest that they were like background like extras that were in both uh, parts. <laughs> so I, I do think they were filmed at the same time, but they're so different. Like those are so different from the parts where uh, the guys like you know playing the blues that I I really thought like maybe they just had all these like random dance sequences left over from some other Playboy project and they edited him to this because it just doesn't make none of it makes sense it just doesn't the, the club of all the mysteries of the film the club might be the most confusing one honestly uh, also the, there's this there's all these times where they go upstairs to what I guess is supposed to be like the VIP area where the boss hangs out sure. and and it's all very open and there's no walls and he's like <laughs> doing drugs and fucking up there and I just feel like any any customer could just wander up into that area like it's it's just not clear what the separation is up there it's all one big open space it was very confusing i just i just felt like the geography of the club was really messing with my brain so so you're saying that in terms of its use of space the uh, the director really nailed it Oh yeah, he really has a. He must have had a real good map of what the space looked like. <laughs> Let's talk about Eric Roberts, the actor. Uh, as we mentioned before, he plays like a police officer that is uh, it's seemingly in the hands of Marco or in the pocket of Marco uh, as the movie uh, uh, progresses. And then we find out there's kind of more to him. Sort of, he's more Claude Rainsish. Uh, Ra- <clears throat> he's more Claude Rainsish from uh, Casablanca, if you uh, catch my drift, playing a character like Montrachet. Let's start with our guest today. Sam, what did you think of Eric Roberts in The Glass Cage? Uh, Well, aside from the virtuoso performance by Richard Mall that we've already discussed, (laughs) really the only reason to watch this movie is Eric Roberts. It's like the movie starts off with him pissing into a urinal. and like, (laughs) Like his introduction in the movie, I should say, starts off that way. But it's like he's the... It's almost kind of frustrating because I don't know how many of your listeners regularly watch shot on video movies, but the acting has a certain quality <laughs> to it that much of this film has. And then, so it's it's almost like it's distracting to see Eric Roberts on screen being able to act and being able to wear suits well, which no one else <laughs> in the film apparently can. And so, it's just like he's too good at things in this movie. Like he gets to become, he gets to play like every interesting part, basically. It's interesting because in, say, the last 10 years, Eric Roberts is in a lot of movies that that take that shape that you were just referring to. Now, I watch a lot of shot on video horror for my other podcast, but what you're referring to is exactly right. When you have sort of an amateurish uh, acting background, uh, that even if you have some acting experience, when you're in with someone that has a load of experience at the highest levels like Eric Roberts, you're going to see that on screen. You're going to see the difference on display. And it's like it, it when he appears, and I don't want to make too much of it because it's not like everyone here is terrible consistently. But for the most part, it's like they're playing like dress up. Like the rest <laughs> of the actors are just playing dress up or they're on like a high school play. And then he walks in and he's like, oh, it's Eric Roberts. He's giving a performance and he's good. And for some reason, even the character seems more interesting because he's playing it. There's, it, it seems like there's more uh, levels to what that character is trying to be, and he's a lot more kind of suave and interesting, even when he's just doing kind of generic things like beating the hell out of Richard Tyson, to, just basically to intimidate him. Uh, so I really, I really like Eric Roberts in this. Liam, what did you think? 
I have to agree. I mean, we were joking about Richard Ball coming in from a different movie, but it's the same with Eric Roberts. It's just the movie that, you know, Richard Ball is watering in from some coked out, you know, drug movie, some crazy murder film. Uh, Eric Roberts is wandering in from an actual police film, you know, <laughs> where someone actually thought about a character with motivations and shit. Like he just, he just shows up at each scene and you're like, oh, okay. All right, Eric, you know, and and I say this, you know, Sam, we've had to watch a lot of Eric Roberts movies, and I wish I could say that every role Eric shows up completely, but that's not true. (laughs) And I really I really thought for this movie, there was a good chance that maybe this would be one of the roles where he just didn't show up for. But, oh, man, he's he's present. It's it's not the best thing that's been written for him, per se. And and he doesn't get to do that much like. Uh, of my favorite Eric Roberts, which is the Eric Roberts freak out. But, uh, <laughs> but, but he gets to do it. Like he's there and it's a real thing. And he, he brings a, uh, a presence to the character that no one else seems to have. Even if some of the other performances are amusing in their own ways, uh, Eric Roberts is actually acting in a way that no one else is pulling off in this film. You know, he's supposed to be the smartest man in the room. Uh, and though you don't really necessarily know that till near the end, he kind of exudes that, because he just seems more capable than everyone else as he's uh, walking through the story. So I think it, it not only does his uh, superior, I would say, acting ability uh, serve him well in this movie, it also kind of serves the character well once we get to the very end where you kind of have this one actually really nice scene between Eric Roberts and Richard Tyson in the uh, church where they kind of affirm their friendship and uh, I guess they're going to walk off into the sunset together for more adventures. That does bring us to... The concept behind this podcast that you and I co-host, Liam, which is whether Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 1996's The Glass Cage. I'm going to stick with you for a second, Liam. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in this movie? Yeah, 100%. I like it. I like the affirmation. I like the positiveness, Liam. Our guest, Sam, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in The Glass Cage? I mean, what do you think I'm going to say? Of course. And I will confirm Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 1996's the Glass Cage, a poor film in a lot of different ways. Even if you're a fan of erotic thrillers, th- this one doesn't exactly cover any new territory. There's a lot of weak acting on display, but it does have a really strong Eric Roberts performance. And Richard Mull shows up with a ponytail and a paunch, and boy, he's just uh, he's just doing something there. <laughs> <laughs> something that you may or may not want to see. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, <laughs> Glass Cage gets our Eric Roberts as the fucking man. Ding! seal of approval we're gonna take our final break when we return we're going to uh, do a little plugging and say good night You could say she was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how'd you like to waste some time And I could not resist When I saw little Nikki grind (laughs) 
And that was episode number 94 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I want to give a massive thank you to our wonderful guest today, Sam Deegan. Sam, you were terrific. You made us watch an erotic thriller that we all somehow managed to enjoy. A rarity on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Where can people find your work and yourself on the internet? Uh, well, I am an editor for Diabolique, so I have sort of like a profile page on there. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram just under at my name. Um, I feel like I really should have a better answer when people ask me this question, but I do a lot of work um, with sort of like different cult video companies for Blu-ray releases, like commentary tracks and liner essays and stuff like that. So I try to share most of those on social media. So I feel like that's probably the best way to find me. Well, we'll link your social media links uh, in the show notes. Uh, what's coming up in uh, Diabolique magazine? Where, what, uh, and where, where's, what's the best way for people to track that down? Uh, just DiaboliqueMagazine.com. We do print issues every once in a while, but I think we run into the same problem that a lot of the other genre magazines have, which is just it's really expensive and people tend to seem to enjoy online content more. Like, So we still put out print issues. It's just been a while, and hopefully there will be one coming this year. But, we, I mean, we publish everything online sure. at this point. Well, of course, link Diabolique magazine in the show notes as well. Liam O'Donnell, as I live and breathe. Yeah. You are tired. You want to stop recording Eric Roberts is the fucking man so you can go to bed. <laughs> uh, I can feel it. The audience could probably feel this entire episode. Really, you've let us down. Um, but Liam, where can people find your work online? What's going on with Cinepunks? Uh, well, we just added a new uh, show to Cinepunks called Tomb of Ideas. That's a, uh exploration of Marvel horror comics. Um, it's really great. It's uh, um, uh, Trey Lawson and James Hickson, and uh, uh, I think it's worth checking out. Uh, and then, as usual, we have lots of uh, great new writing going up all the time, so... I recommend people check that out as well. Uh, so just go to Cinepunks, uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X dot com, or you can follow Cinepunks, same spelling, on Instagram, Twitter. We're on Facebook. We have like a cool Facebook group where people discuss stuff. So check it out. And of course, Liam, uh, you and I, as well as our friend and uh, editor at Cinepunks, Adriana, have another podcast together. New episodes should be dropping soon of The Flight Stuff. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're reading Alpha Flight. Uh, for <laughs> me, me and Adriana, we're rereading it for you. You're checking it out for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, and we we get in depth on, um, you know, usually two to three issues at a time, just sort of to keep to the shorter stories. Yeah, that's, hey, that's so exciting. I, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> I've had a really great time with it so far. I think it's getting better and better as we go along. I'm. I am making an effort to not read ahead, though I want to explore the time periods that we're, we've been talking about so far. So I just want to really put it out there. If you don't know anything about Alpha Flight, the superhero team from Marvel from the early 80s that are basically a Canadian Avengers, that this is a podcast that I think you can really still enjoy because I'm coming at it with almost no background knowledge. And I will be your guide as these two nerds 
who know everything there is to know about Alpha Flight work their way through the series, and I guess we'll eventually start enjoying some of the stuff that we're <laughs> we're reading. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to get there, right, Liam? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've definitely enjoyed some I'm of just it, kidding but, around. but I, I, I know been, parts of it. It's like been a surprise. Like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Well, I'm just glad that we finally have a Newfoundland character that is going to return any issue now to <laughs> to lead Alpha Flight into the new <laughs> decade. Anyway, we'll, we'll uh, listen to the episodes of Alpha Flight uh, podcast, The Flight Stuff, over at uh, Cinepunks, and also follow them on Twitter at Flight Stuff Pod. And you can, of course, follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, Liam. Sure. Liam, I have another podcast called No Budget Nightmares. It's about shot on video, ultra low budget, and micro budget films and filmmaking. You can find that over at nobudgetpodcast.com. You can also find that on Twitter at No Budget Podcast. All one word, or go to No Budget Podcast um, on Facebook and join our group. A lot of really interesting and exciting things happening there. We have a kind of a big announcement coming up. And of course, uh, for those who are a fan of the great filmmaker J.R. Bookwalter, he has the ultimate edition of his Robot Ninja movie that is going to be released imminently that Mo and I have a commentary on that we recorded quite a long time ago that we're exciting. We're exciting. We're excited to see go out into the world. You can also find me, Doug Tilly, on Twitter. It's at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And if you want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, and I strongly recommend it, you go over to ericrobertsistheman.com or on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. But with that all said, I think it's time for us to close up the Eric Roberts bag for another week. We will be back once again very soon with another Eric Roberts classic. Good night, everybody. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. <laughs>